Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Wright. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local and national guests on topics of interest for you and your family. While 2020 may be in our rearview mirror, or at least we hope it's in our rearview mirror, the effects of many of the issues that we have been dealing with for this past year have not gone away, and many may linger for many more months. So today, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the issues that are going into 2021 and some of the feelings that we have about those issues. We're going to talk today about depression, anxiety, loneliness, and other topics with one of my frequent guests, Nora Ann Brooklocker, a local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Welcome back, Nora Ann. Oh, it's great to be back. Thank you so much, Sherry. And Happy New Year to you. Oh, yeah. Now we are into 2021, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that uh, that I know when we were going over some of the questions uh, that we would go over today, I said, uh, what about the expectations that we all have mm-hmm. for 2021? I know that we all sort of wanted that calendar to turn over on New Year's Eve and then wake up on New Year's Day and everything would be different. And lo and behold, it's not that much different, is it? You know, just because it's a new year definitely doesn't mean that there is a hard stop to what it was that we were going through. Um, However, I think it also is uh, kind of incredible that we're now in January and um, as we approach March, we'll have been in this for a full year. So I think that we are at a different place with this whole experience. There are a number of things that um, we feel more certainty around. For example, the vaccine is now available for some of us anyway. Um, and uh, as the months roll on, it will become more and more available uh, to many in the population. And I do think that that is one of those things that will allow for us to get back to that sense of normality. Um, but with that said, I, I would say we're we're at kind of a burnout stage. Um, we've We've been there for a while, but I think at this point in time, our reserves aren't quite what they were when this whole uh, experience started. Well, let's talk about some of the particular issues that we've had to deal with in 2020 in the sense of our mental health. Let's talk about depression first. I have no doubt that I experienced moments of depression during 2020, and I know I experienced anxiety and certainly loneliness for friends and family. What exactly is depression? What are the symptoms? So, Uh, According to the DSM, which is what we use to uh, diagnose, um, uh, it's depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, um, and that might be per your subjective report, just how you're feeling, such as sad or empty or hopeless, or perhaps it's an observation made by uh, those around you hey, I've noticed you've been crying a lot more recently. Or, hey, I've noticed you haven't been able to get out of bed for the last couple of days. Are you okay? Um, it might also be that your your interest, your pleasure in things is hugely reduced. Um, it could be that you've had a significant weight loss or weight gain. 
um, you might notice that there's some real uh, troubles with sleeping, um, and that might be that you're um, having some insomnia, restlessness in the night, or it might be that you're oversleeping, you know. Um, I would also say that you might feel that your uh, feelings of worthlessness or um, excessive or inappropriate guilt might be also really heightened. And that's kind of an odd one here. And I think it's an important one here um, in terms of depression as well as uh, to COVID. So one of the, the pieces here in the DSM that it brings our attention to is responses to significant loss. And that can include bereavement, such as having lost somebody specifically, financial ruin, losses from a natural disaster, serious medical illness or disability. Um, And one of the important pieces is that the experience of grief is one that, um, not that it ever fully goes away per se, but that it can lessen over time. Whereas with depression itself, it's it's a little bit different. Um, That one is one that tends to uh, linger a lot longer. So I I think that um, that's also important here in that there can be a difference in recurrent thoughts of death, um, not just the fear of dying, but that would also include suicidal ideation. Um, And I think that when it comes to where we're at with COVID right now is that it it's chronic. You know, this this has just been such an ongoing experience. And I think that um not knowing entirely what's ahead or not having that uh light at the end of the tunnel just yet for so many of us, I think is where these feelings of depression really start to settle in. Well let me uh, let me ask you on on many of the things that you listed around depression we've had to cope with this uh, last year so would it be a normal response to what's happened in the last year between what's happened nationally what's happened with covid um what what's happened with people out of work would depression be and i don't know what the word normal really means but would it be a normal uh thing that somebody would go through given what we've had to experience I would say yes to that. And I I think that one of the quote-unquote bright spots is that I think people have shared understanding of that experience to an extent where we we can now um, better understand and talk about it with one another. But in terms of going through, say, a natural disaster or a catastrophic experience, which is what COVID-19 has been on so many different levels, I think it is very natural to have response to that. And if you didn't have response to that, it might be that you were perhaps um, less affected. Perhaps there were certain areas of your life that retained stability. Um, So I think there was a metaphor that described it as that we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. And so for Mm -hmm. some people, it might be that they're not necessarily feeling a whole lot of waves because they're able to continue forward. One of the big pieces here is that there's been such a change in so many people's routines. 
And I think that that, too, has been a really huge part of this whole experience Mm -hmm. where when our routines Mm -hmm. are so interrupted, um, that I think also really creates a a difficulty in trying to restabilize to find homeostasis once more. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about that, certainly, that all of our routines were turned upside down, people working at home, people who uh, have to homeschool their children, uh, their routine has been truly everybody's has been turned upside down. I, I, uh, I don't enjoy working from home. I, I like being around staff and that I've been deprived of being around staff for months. And I think that probably was one of the bigger issues for me on working from home and certainly disrupted my routine and many others. Right, right. So let's talk about um, the depression and what we do with it. When do we know when we need to see a professional? What do we, if we're, if we're saying that everything we've gone through in 2020, somebody that wasn't chronically depressed before, and then they have moments of depression during this last year, and that it can be normal, um, what do we do with that depression, Norianne? And when do we know when we need some help? So I I think that a lot of people are, are indeed coming to understand that um, this, this can just happen. And while some people might have um, a higher likelihood of developing it, so that would be those who were already perhaps um, depressed or feeling anxious prior to this occurring might have found that it became really greatly exacerbated. Um, but then as well, I think that some people are just predis- predisposed, uh, predisposed to developing it due to perhaps like a genetic background of uh, family depression that occurs. Um, but with that said, when it comes to um, how it is affecting your current day-to-day life, if you're finding that perhaps you're self-medicating a great deal with, say, substance use, um, or that you're finding yourself um, doing more binge shopping or binge eating, whatever it might be in terms of some of those coping mechanisms, um, there comes a point where you know you're not okay there comes a point where it's not helping. And I think part of it, too, is that certain things that we would normally turn to, and that would include, you know, going to a family member, a friend, um, and, you know, looking for those hugs. (laughs) I think that Mm -hmm. uh, there's fewer hugs right now, and there's less of the shared grieving that we're able to do. You know, so many people who have um, have lost somebody this past year, which happens in a normal year, if you will, will um, I think at this point in time, we, we aren't able to get together in the same capacity that we would normally. So I think that there are limits to functioning that start to really appear. So for example, being late to work, really pretty consistently, or you're noticing that um, you're pushing people away, you're shutting down. Um, I think that there are points in time where it really begins to feel like it's out of your control. You know, there, there's that point where you can still do something, you know, that you're like, okay, you know, I'll just go for a walk. And it, it does give you that really good turnaround on mood, or um, you can create a list and, and start uh, crossing things off and getting your momentum back. 
But if those things just aren't working and whatever you try is just not quite giving that full relief, I would say that is probably about a time for, for going to therapy. Um, I would say that not everyone is going to be a good candidate for, say, medication, um, but some people might really respond to that. Now is a time to really recognize that mental health issues happen, and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It simply means that you're struggling. And, you know, there are times in life where we do struggle. Life can be really, really hard sometimes. And I think for many, this is one of those points in time. And you bring up such a good point, the word mental health and good mental health and taking care of your mental health. And yet there's still such a stigma around that, that if we admit that we think something is wrong, from a mental health uh, standpoint that I don't know will be criticized, ostracized. There's just so much stigma around mental health. How do you help somebody address that? So I think this is an example of um, a term I recently heard called linguistic weaponry. Um, And I define that as a way to deny, avoid, or demean in order to diminish. And one of the ways I would, I would explain that is to say that um, sometimes, regardless of how you feel about something, it doesn't change it. And um, to go even further there, you know, just because you don't want to be depressed doesn't mean that you are not. With linguistic weaponry, I would say that there are times where we're made to feel ashamed or guilty that Mm -hmm. we should just toughen up and we should just be okay. And Mm -hmm. I think part of that too is there's perhaps even like an economic emphasis on that. People um, struggling to to do their work, you know, it kind of puts a a little bit of a crimp in the whole chain. Um, And I think that when it comes down to it, we have to recognize that um, we're struggling. And that's part of where I think suicide comes in, is if people don't talk about these things, then I think that we really begin to hold it um, and internalize it to a point where it it gets to uh, an unbearable situation. And I think that people, if they um, have listened to the stigma of like, hey, you're weak if you go to therapy, what do you need to do that for? Things like that. Um, I, I think that when it comes down to it, it's not just a matter of talking. You know, people think, well, what are you going to do? You're just talking about it. But part of it is a shedding light on things that need to be talked about and you connecting certain dots, certain pieces that you might not have put together previously. And I think, too, there are sometimes certain things that we don't know how to talk about with our family and friends, because perhaps the family and friends, while very well-meaning, might shut it down or diminish it themselves. Um, You know, for example, when uh, another person feels uncomfortable, they might deploy their own defense mechanisms in order to get out of that discomfort, but ultimately, maybe then that person feels discouraged. So I think that there are a lot of ways in which this stigma has operated. But again, I'm seeing a reduction of it because of the fact that so many people are having such a hard time. So where people would not be able to relate previously, now they can. Yeah. Well, it's become more acceptable because uh, I'm assuming because 
more and more people are struggling with it. My generation, of course, the baby boomers, our motto is pull yourself up by your bootstraps and uh, toughen it all out. But my children's generation, I think, thankfully, didn't take that mantra on uh, quite as much as the baby boomers did. I know that uh, a coping mechanism, and I certainly have done this, is but, you know, it does, uh, Noran, make me feel better in a way to realize that there's people that have it worse than me. I have a job. I still have a job. I don't have COVID. Nobody in my family has uh, become desperately ill with COVID. Is that a coping mechanism that at times can be a plus or be a negative? It can certainly be both. You're, you're really... Um poignant in that space right there because it truly can be both. On one side, yes, it can absolutely be very positive and grounding to remind yourself of all the good and all the the things in your life that are still going well um, because I think those are our stabilizing points. Those are pieces of our life that create structure. And so if those pieces are still in place, then I think we have a much higher chance of bouncing back from this um, circumstance. But I would also say on the negative side, sometimes, too, when we remind ourselves of those things, it almost invalidates how it is that we are feeling. So, well, I don't have any reason to feel this way because so many other people have it worse than I do. So what am I Mm -hmm. doing just moping around and feeling sorry for myself? When in Mm -hmm. fact, it is hard for you too. So perhaps there are certain great things that are stabilizing factors, but sometimes, again, regardless of whether or not you want to feel a certain thing, you still do. And that is really difficult to, to try to pull yourself uh, just feel better. Like, yeah, I would love to, <laughs> but how? How mm-hmm. do I feel better? Sure. And um, and what about anxiety? Um, I didn't. It was interesting last week when I got the COVID vaccine, and I didn't realize how I had an underlying anxiety that I was living with every day that I could get COVID until I got the vaccine. And I literally could feel this release of anxiety. Now, that doesn't mean that the COVID vaccine means I can't get COVID. I mean, I've only had one vaccine and it takes a while to become in effect. But it was still this enormous release. And I realized how much anxiety I'd had during 2020 about catching the disease. Um, Is anxiety, how do you cope with anxiety? And is anxiety usually go along with depression? It certainly can go along with depression. So depression, I think, tends to be past-oriented thought. Um, so certainly you you could be in this place of um, some of the symptoms that I, I mentioned earlier. But in addition to that, anxiety tends to be very future-oriented. And I do want to do a differentiation here between anxiety and fear, Fear is an emotional response to real or perceived imminent threat, whereas anxiety is anticipation of future threat. So I think that it's important to differentiate the two um, because, again, the, the big determining factor is if it's excessive or out of proportion. 
And that's where you begin to really see um, some functioning difficulties in your life. Um, I think anxiety is a survival response. Even depression, for that matter, is a survival response. How it shows up for you, it might be that, say, you go into freeze mode, and that would be kind of the depression piece where it's hard for you to do anything. And I think that sometimes that can be um, almost like a hibernation effect where you're waiting it out. So you're sad, you're lonely, you're, you're struggling in the moment. But part of that, too, is helping you to just pass the time, maybe sleeping more in order to pass the time to get through this particular chapter as it continues. The anxiety piece of it, I hear you loud and clear that when I got my, my first dose of the vaccine as well, I felt this very unexpected relief as well. It, it it was this sense of, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was carrying mm-hmm. all of right. that stress on my right. shoulders. I mean, I knew it, but I, I, I didn't expect that from the vaccine um, either. And, you know, to me, it was almost like, wow, this is that first step towards going back mm-hmm. to life and getting to see people that I miss so much. So there, there was definitely kind of a a breath that I could take once more mm-hmm. that I didn't feel like I'd been able mm-hmm. to take for longer than I had realized. So let me um, let me take my example and unpack it a bit so I'm clear. Yes, I, yes, I had fear of getting COVID. Absolutely, I'm, I'll be 71 soon, and uh, even though I don't have any underlying health conditions, just the age factor alone though I'm assuming there are many people younger than me that were fearful of getting COVID. So explain to me again the anxiety and the fear. So I was afraid of getting COVID, which created the anxiety that I would have about getting COVID. I think I didn't quite understand that. Oh, sure. And thank you for your question there for clarification. So I think that, yes, the fear is what started all of this. And the fear, I think, has been very prominent for us throughout this experience. And fear is a is a typical response when there's something that is unknown. And throughout this experience, there's been a lot of um, difficulties knowing the information at hand, what to believe, what not to believe, and um when it comes to the anxiety, certainly that's a, it's a great way to put it in terms of, so there's the fear response, but then there's the anxiety of, well, what if I go visit somebody or what if I do this or what if I do mm. that? And so that yeah. anxiety yeah, that makes really sense. heightens over time, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed, we were uh, having a conversation the other day, some people that are sort of in my bubble, um, that it's a personal decision on where we take risks. So what we were talking about is that they may not want to go do this particular thing, but this other particular thing was very important to them. And so they would expand their bubble for whatever was important, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that um, there are certain things that provide meaning in life. And I think certain events would would certainly fall into that category. Um, I think that uh, I go back to what I've shared previously, but I'll share it again in regard to my own mom. And that was that she 
wanted to be reminded of the things that really bring joy and meaning to her own life because those are her reasons to live. And again, for her, um, it's not that she had, had, had any desire towards not living, but more so that when depression is heavy and when life is, is quite a struggle, it's really important to remember the things that provide your life, that imbue it with that sense of purpose and meaning. And I think that some of those um, risks perhaps are really recognizing that that person is in a really hard spot or that there are certain events that feel like they're once in a lifetime and that they don't want to miss out on. It could be, you know, any number of of different reasons behind that. But I, I would also say that there's kind of a surge capacity depletion that we've hit too. And one of the things I began to notice for myself is I felt like my anxiety should be even higher. Um, So, you know, the beginning of this experience, my anxiety was very high. And especially as I was sitting in sessions, telehealth sessions with clients as they were describing their own anxiety, um, I, I think that it was you know, through the roof. Um, but then we come into this chapter now where we're seeing the highest numbers that we've seen in this entire experience. And I'm feeling like, shouldn't I be more worried? Shouldn't I have more fear mm. than I do? And I think that the way that I would put it is that that's the indication that we've reached that uh, surge capacity depletion. There comes the point perhaps where we become numb or there comes the point where this is just now familiar. This is the new normal. This is something that we, we've been in for such a number of months. But as I watch the numbers, I'm not as surprised anymore. I feel like I should be, but I'm not. And um, I think part of that, too, is where we begin to expand our bubble because we get comfortable. We, we're not taking yeah. the same level of precautions because, you know, uh, at this point in time, perhaps there's the fe- the feeling of like, well, maybe I won't get it. Or maybe, you know, we've been safe this long. We'll probably still be okay. Right, right. I haven't gotten it so far. I'm, uh, I must be doing something right. Well, let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about our expectations and how we manage them, especially around this vaccine. Um, I know there's a lot of frustration out there that the vaccine isn't getting to people quick enough. And uh, I know that there's a lot of 60 and 70 year olds that I think should be getting the vaccine that aren't. And how do we manage the expectation um, of what life will be like if we get the vaccine? Because we're not going to go back to normal even after we have the vaccine for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's where uh, people, again, feel that heaviness come on back. <laughs> um, it, it, it's true, isn't it? You know, that the majority of the general population won't um, have ability to access this until uh, late spring or even summer. And um, even at that point, too, I know that there's still quite a number of people who either remain on the fence or are even against getting vaccinated. And um, I think just like with other traumatic situations with natural disasters, whether it's, you know, a hurricane or an unfortunate terrorist incident such as 9-11, 
things do change. And I think a lot of people are really uncertain as to what those changes are going to be. I think that um, in addition to that, and we'll of course touch on this in a later podcast, but we've just had our election and that too is a determining factor for the choices that are made going from here forward. So I think that in terms of expectations, one of the biggest things I'll say to people is to really focus on what is in your control. You cannot control all of these other extenuating factors that are just happening to you and around you. And so one of the big things I would say is trying to maintain your healthy sleep, exercise, food, and drink habits. It might also be that you want to keep a journal. I think that... um, According to psychologist James Pennebaker at the University of Texas at Austin, um, research shows that expressive writing helps people process difficult emotions and find meaning. And so at this point in time, I think that one of the biggest things that we can do is to have recognition of the ways that we've gotten off track to allow ourselves then to pinpoint what it is that we would like to focus in on in our own life. Um, And that might be that this is something that we'll just have to sit tight a bit longer. But in the meantime, what is it that you want to focus on that gives you that sense of purpose and meaning in your own life? Well, let's talk about the vaccine uh, in a little bit different way. There are many people on the fence on the vaccine, whether to get it, not get it, for a variety of reasons. What would you recommend for the decision-making process? Not necessarily the decision itself, because that's very personal for people, but the decision-making process for somebody who's sort of uh, in the middle there and struggling with whether to get the vaccine. Right. I think that with these new mRNA vaccines, they're new, and I think that there are some people who uh, are unsure about them, and I think vaccines have had, um, unfortunately, a, a lot of misinformation around them over the last number of years anyway. Um, I think that when it comes down to it, perhaps it's doing a cost-benefit analysis. Um, What will it cost you to not get this vaccine? Um, In what ways will it benefit you if you do? I think that um, when it comes to people lining up uh, initially, there are those who are hesitant and want to watch and make sure that you don't grow an extra head or have, you know, uh, alternative <laughs> issues, you know. And, and the truth is, is that it, as it gets out into a higher number of people and in, in, in a greater portion of the population, you do begin to see what uh, other potential side effects that might come around. Um, But in addition to that, I think that there's also um, the Novavax, which is going to be released in the summer. And that's much more similar to the flu vaccine that we already have. So I think that it's trying to gain as much information as you can, but ensuring that you're getting it from as credible of sources as possible. I think opinions have really run rampant this last year. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, you know, um, 
when it comes to media, that would include watching the news or even social media, these have absolutely been shown to exacerbate depression, anxiety, and fear. And I think that um, when I've taken breaks from the news for periods of time, I've seen an increase in my um, well-being. And part of that is that I, I want to remain in the know, but I also have to pull myself away because those are people as well, and they are certainly going to be um, uh, prone towards anxiety too. You know, I think that there's probably a high prevalence of a PTSD even among news reporters because of the things that they have to report, the things that they have to remain mm-hmm. stone-faced and being able to say out loud uh, to a general population. So I think that uh, when it comes to this decision of whether or not someone should get the vaccine or um, even uh, how they feel about it, I definitely myself kind of felt on the fence until I was aware that as a behavioral health provider, I was in tier one and that I could get it and I signed up for it. And I felt this uh, immense relief as well as we've already discussed, but I didn't expect that. I I felt unnerved in, in being in the line waiting for it. And then when it came, it just, Oh, it it was a different, different uh, um, feeling than I expected. So what I'll say is that, as somebody is in the decision-making process, what they're thinking about versus the expectation and the reality of it might be very different. Be careful not to believe everything you think. Right. Well, and that's part of the issue is being able to determine what really is a fact um, and what is just a feeling that somebody's giving you, their, their opinion, their feeling about it versus an actual fact and getting to know your facts. Well, we've talked about uh, depression and fabulous conversation about anxiety, about fear. Uh, we haven't really touched on loneliness, but it it feels like that really just circles all of those other issues. Um, the loneliness that so many of us have experienced by being in quarantine or not being at work or not being able to be around family. Any comment on loneliness and how it attaches to everything else we've discussed? I think that this situation um, has been just a a real recipe here. You know, I think that um, we seek grounding and uh, stability in our relationships with others. We, We tend to not be lone wolves. Uh, we like our packs, and I think that that too is one of the ways that we feel safe, or that when we have anxiety, um, we're able to reach over and get that hand squeezed from somebody nearby. And to not have that at this point in time, um, or to to have family at a distance. I think it it certainly is really difficult not being able to travel and being dissuaded from um, being able to spend the holidays with one another. Certainly, there is more than just this moment in time. And I'm very hopeful, not to be a Pollyanna here, but I'm very hopeful that as we go forward, we'll really begin to recognize what it is that those relationships are for us. 
Um, I think that Mm -hmm. we perhaps were in a place where we were just so run down and tired anyway um, from from life and, and just not necessarily taking that opportunity to sit back and and be in contemplation about what it is that we want out of life. And that is one of the things that I hope can come from this moment in time is that as people picture what it is that they want from their own lives going forward, it might be that it's having more time, more quality time with the people that they care about and really not taking those moments for granted as much as perhaps they have previously. I think that's an excellent um, way to put it. And I know my family, um, we've always found each other quite precious, but we've increased that. And uh, you've reminded me that it is so very precious and that having the moments with family means everything in the world. Now, we've talked about somebody being able to realize when they need some help that depression, anxiety, fear, loneliness, when it's gotten to the point when where you do need some outside help. How does somebody uh, look for an outside therapist or find somebody that they can trust, that they can literally open up to? So uh, a resource that I even utilize as a therapist myself when looking for referrals is psychologytoday.com or an additional resource is uh, goodtherapy.org. Both of these websites are excellent in terms of helping you filter out what is going to best serve you. So, for example, the specific insurance that you use Um, the specific presenting problem. You can even decide if you want a male or a female therapist, um, whether or not they utilize telehealth, uh, et cetera. There there are so many different pieces that are great filter options for you. Another resource, though, that I would say is even talking to family and friends and saying, hey, I'm having a really hard time. Have you ever met any therapist or have you gone to therapy yourself? Um, And you might find that it really is quite a fruitful conversation. If some people are struggling to reach out for help themselves, that is another way that family and friends can be a great support even at a distance. You know, they can make the phone calls or that they can reach out to therapists and say, hey, I have somebody that's having a hard time and ask them the questions that the person is wondering about. Example being, again, insurance or scheduling or what have you. Um, There are definitely waiting times for some individuals. There are a lot of people at this point in time that are now willing to reach out. um, And I think that that's where some of the other resources could come in handy. Uh, We've we've talked a bit previously about Talkspace, um, and I'm still not entirely on board with it myself. um, But with that said, it's not going to be the right fit for every person or every provider But I will say that uh, the city of Reno, having just passed the um, contract with Talkspace, it potentially could be really beneficial in that it allows somebody that you can talk to in the interim while you're waiting perhaps to get in with another individual here in this area. There's a lot of different ways that that could look. Explain Talkspace. That's something that you can do over the Internet. I, I I don't know a lot about Talkspace. 
Right. So Talkspace is a resource um, that you can do texting even. You can have sessions. You can write emails. Um, and so it, it's a little bit of a different resource at this point in time. One of the things I will say is that um, they describe it as therapeutic conversation, but not therapy. Um, so it, I would see it as a stepping stone. That That's how I um, would definitely conceptualize it, is that it's a stepping stone. For, so, for somebody who's very deeply in crisis, it's not going to be a good fit. Um, but for somebody who really just needs somebody to talk to at this point in time and to to regain some sense of stability, it might be a good option. So Talkspace, again, is uh, an online resource, um, but it's also one that's kind of akin to telehealth-ish. <laughs> again, it's, it, <laughs> I would consider it a little bit of a step down um, kind of in that interim period um, where you're trying to get in with somebody or you might find that there's somebody that you really enjoy talking to via this resource. It, it just depends on the person. Okay. Well, thank you, Noran, for a great discussion today. We've touched on many topics. Um, I know we're going to do another podcast in a week or so, and we're going to talk then about conspiracy theories and misinformation. That should be very interesting for our listeners. I know I'm looking forward to that conversation. We've been talking today to Nora Ann Brooklocker, a local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Thank you, Nora Ann, for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. It's great to be back. It is great to be back. And everybody out there, thank you for listening, and please stay safe, wear your mask, and Happy New Year to everyone. 